as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you're a faithful God. You're a good yes. God. God, you see our needs and God, you meet them. And so right now, God, we come before you with, uh, with thanksgiving, with hearts full of praise. We say, have your way yes. in Jesus' name. Everybody said. The grip of his mighty love We've only glimpsed his vast affection Her whispers of his ardent passion His glory yeah. His love is deep, his love is wide And it covers us his love is fierce, His love is strong, and it's glorious. His love is sweet, His love is wild, and it's waking us to life. The Father loves and sends His Son. The Son lays down His life for all. He lavishes his love upon us. He calls us now his sons and daughters. He's reaching. Yeah. His love is deep, his love is wide, yet it covers us. His love is fierce, his love is strong, and it's furious. His love is sweet, his love is wild, yet it's waking us to life. Oh, his love is deep, his love is wide, yet it covers us. His love is fierce, his love is strong, yet it's furious. His love is sweet, his love is wild, and it's waking us to life. Yes, he's waking us to life. Yes, he's waking us to life. You awake this morning, you're waking. He's waking us. He's waking us right now, right now. Oh, he's waking us up this morning. Waking us alive, waking us alive. Right now, just, just, I want you to just let go this morning. We just need to let go this morning. 
seeing how deep his love is. I don't care what you've done this week. Repent. Run to Jesus right now. His love is deep. His love is wide. Sing it with me. His love is deep. His love is wide. Yet it covers us. His love is fierce. His love is strong. Yet it's furious. His love is sweet. His love is wild. Yet it's waking us to life. Let me sing it out. Sing it out. Oh, his love is deep. His love is wide. Yet it covers us. His love is fierce. His love is strong. Yet it's furious. His love is sweet, His love is wild, and His way hearts to morning. Welcome Holy Spirit. Welcome Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, you're welcome in this place. Bye. 
speak to us, God. Your pride is listening, your church. Our ears are open to Spirit, speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, come forth. Come on, right now the Holy Spirit is just ministering to some hearts of this place. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit where God can come and use one of us here in this sanctuary and give us a word. But right now the Holy Spirit is ministering to your heart. Come on. If the Holy Spirit is ministering to your heart without a word going forth, just lift your hands right now. As a sign of surrender, as an outward sign of, God, I'm giving up. I'm coming to you. I can't do this on my own. God, I need your help. I hear you speaking to me. Come on. Lift your hands. Feeling this place. There's freedom in this place. Oh, I'm speaking. Spirit, speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, give us a new set of eyes to see the world with this morning. Reveal to us wonderful things we do not know this morning. God, we pray. As we remember what happened 15 years ago today, God, that we would see it through your eyes and with your heart. Lord, what happened on September 11, 2001, it was a sign of the times. And we do not want to be ignorant of what you're doing. We don't want to be ignorant of where things are going. We don't want to think like the rest of the world that is darkened in their understanding and just attributes happenings like terrorism to, to a bad economy or to socio-political factors. God Almighty, you are not asleep at the wheel. You are not in heaven frantically trying to fix our mess. You rule and reign over the nations. You change times and seasons. You raise up leaders and you bring down leaders. Heaven rules over earth. Let us not forget that right now. Yeah. You are sovereign. You are in control. And no one can say to you, Lord, what have you done? Come on, church. For, just remember where you were. Some of you were not even born on 9-11. You weren't even alive then, or you were too young to remember. And even if you were old enough, you can remember the, exactly where you were and who you were with like it was yesterday. Did you realize back then what was happening? 
The world is changing. The world that was assigned to us that just like every nation that came before us, America cannot last forever. Even the great World Trade Center of New York City, our greatest city, fell within hours when two airline jets hijacked by terrorists flew into it. There was another jet that flew into the Pentagon and another that crashed in a field out in Pennsylvania, supposedly diverted from its original target. 2,996 people died that day. 6,000 were injured. It was an act of war. It was the greatest act of terrorism upon our soil. And it was a sign this world is about to change rapidly. And it has been changing on every front with technology, with our culture and our morals and values. And the overall landscape as we have seen upheaval among the nations and terrorist groups like ISIS arise. But God is not asleep. God is not asleep at the wheel. My friends, I just want to tell you this. Our prayer should not be make America great again. It should be make Jesus great in America. I want us to take a posture of humility if you can. If you can, bend your knee. If you can, come up to these altars. was a warning the the justice of God does not sleep and as a nation and as the church within a nation we've been guilty guilty of injustice guilty of racism guilty of tens of millions of abortions of our pre-born Guilty of profaning marriage, gender, and sexuality. Guilty of hatred on every level. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Come on, you got to pray in your own heart. Every prophet of the Bible, when they prayed for their people, they said we. we didn't, they didn't say they, they said we. They identify with their people. Jesus, we come to you. We are guilty. We have not learned our lesson. And even with this upcoming election, we're saying, man, things are about to go off a cliff, it seems, no matter who's elected. And we don't get it. And we haven't acknowledged you and given you glory as a people. And we haven't repented of our idolatry and evil ways. But Lord, we need a move of the Spirit. We need our eyes open and our hearts softened. And we need a revival in the church to proclaim the good news on every street of this nation, every neighborhood, every home, to every family. God, apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord Jesus, come on, cry out to Jesus. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. We call on you, Jesus, to save. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. 
and everything that is shaken will be shaken, the Bible says. America is not promised to last forever. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know who holds the future. I know who holds this nation, who holds the nations of the earth, who holds every individual life in his hands, the billions of people that populate this planet. I know him, and I trust him, and he is in control. And he will get his glory and he will save all who call on his name. And I believe he's not done. Because he answers prayer, amen? He answers her when we call on him, amen? He is mighty to save, amen? He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He does not hold our sins against us forever. You are a great and merciful God. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every day. Come on, bless the God of heaven. You rule over all, and I'm glad. I don't want anyone else in charge but you, Jesus. You rule the nations. You are the Lord. You are the name above every name. We love and bless you this morning. We trust you. We trust our families, ourselves, our city, our nation our future to you, Lord God. We say that you are God and we are not. We turn from our ways and we embrace you, Lord, and love you and bow to you in your mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. We can give it up for the Lord. Praise God. You can find a seat right now. morning everyone my name is Jared I am one of the pastoral staff here at Metro Praise International and as always we take time to preach the good news everyone say good news and you can get the the scripture up Everyone look at the screen here. This is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. I may not be wearing designer shoes this morning, Jordans or Ferragamo for the ladies, but I have beautiful feet because I came from afar with a good news, with a message of glad tidings. I came to proclaim peace, to proclaim salvation, and to declare that our God reigns. In the days before cell phones and internet, when an army went off to battle, people would not know how that battle ended until a messenger came. And they would either have bad news, we lost, we've been destroyed, prepare for surrender. Or they would come with good news, we have the victory. 
And I come to you as a messenger of good news. The good news is this, that God came down to earth as a man. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. And he died a criminal's death. Because as the Bible says, he was marked with the transgressors. He died on behalf of every guilty soul that has ever lived. And if you have broken God's commands, whether it's lying, lusting, stealing, pride, you name it. It's not just the Adolf Hitlers that are going to hell, folks. You are guilty. And he died on behalf of every guilty soul. But he did not stay in the grave. Amen. He resurrected three days later. He beat death, hell in the grave. Death could not hold him down. I come bearing good news that a battle has been fought and a war has been won by Jesus Christ. And he is the ruling king of the universe. With that in mind, if you're not on his team, you need the white flag. You need to surrender because he has won and he is coming back to take everything that's his. He is the king. You want to be on his side. You want to be on the winning team. He holds life and blessing and peace with God for every man, woman, and child that comes to him. But woe to his enemies. I come to proclaim peace. There's a big word for that. It means it's, it's called shalom. Everyone say shalom. It means wholeness of relationship. That through Jesus Christ, because you receive the love of God, you can now love others with God's love. And because through Jesus you are forgiven by God, you can freely forgive others. Now having wholeness of relationship with God, it means that those who have been reconciled to Him now reconcile with one another. To the post-9-11 world, to the season where Democrats and Republicans are at each other's throats, to the, to the streets where people are dying over blocks, we proclaim shalom in Jesus' name. We proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. Now, friend, I will say that your God reigns, and I'm saying that to those who have given their life to Jesus this morning. He's my God. Is he your God? Come on. He is ruling and reigning. and We have uh, prayer workers here. Listen, folks. As stated before, not everyone's on the right side of heaven today. I suggest we all bow to King Jesus today. Amen. You put your trust in him. You believe he is who he says he is. He's the son of God. He's coming back. He died for sins. You take that to heart and you submit your life to him and he'll change your life forever. Joselito and Bertha will walk you through that. They'll pray with you and help you to understand what that looks like in a few moments as we had the time. But for us as the people of God, I want to say our confession of faith together. Just have that ready. But before I do, I, I want to pray for those in this room. you got to get right with the Lord. Father, my prayer is that everyone will be reconciled to you today. That there will no one here will leave as an enemy of God. But they will have peace with you today. 
They will be your children today. They will be lavished with your love today. And my words are not sufficient to convince them. Holy Spirit, convict them. Show them their need for a Savior. Show them their need for deliverance. And show them your wide open arms to embrace them. God, I can't do it but warm the hearts of everyone here. Warm the hearts of everyone here, God, and make this real and applicable. We pray in the name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. Now let us say together, in faithfulness to King Jesus, our confession of faith, at the count of three, one, two, three. I believe in one God and Creator, who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in His death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal award of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Give it up for Jesus. We're going to have time to greet the people next to you. Shake, shake it up with somebody you haven't met yet. Shake it up with somebody you haven't met yet.
All right, all right. Good morning and welcome to Metro Praise International. Who's excited to be here in the house of God? Let me hear you make some noise. You guys can all find a seat. Welcome to Metro Praise International, where we have services every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. with childcare provided. Just want to give you guys some information about who we are. We also have our Elevate Youth Service taking place every Friday at 7 p.m. for students ages 11 to 18 years old. So Elevate has been rocking it out every Friday. We're raising up radical disciples for Jesus Christ. So come on, Elevate. And with that being said, I want to remind you, September 25th. Somebody say September 25th. We are having our East Sunday. Elevate is taking over. Come on, Elevate, make some noise. We want you to represent. So they're preparing an amazing service for you guys. Bring out your family members. Bring out your friends. We're expecting souls to be saved through this powerful service. And so here at MPI, we have a vision. Somebody say vision of loving God and loving people, the two greatest commands that Jesus himself gave us. And we have a strategy of connect, mentor, and send and a goal of 100,000 disciples here in the city of Chicago and 500 all around the world, amen? So how do you get connected? First, you get connected to Jesus. Then you get connected to the church through our life groups. Somebody say life groups. So if you look on the back of your announcements, you're gonna be able to see a complete list of what Metro Praise has to offer. So take a look at it, see what catches your eye, and I want you to get connected this week. Get connected this month. Make it a priority, okay? And so here's what's going on this week. Today we got our single mamas meeting up at 5.30. There you go. At that address right there. Wednesday we have something for our kiddos. King's Kids Ministry meeting here at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Thursday we have our gang outreach. Come on. 18 years and up meeting here at the church at 7 p.m. Powerful ministry. Fridays, we got our adult Bible study meeting at the Govea's, that's my house, or the Vivid's house, 7 p.m. at that address right there. And then last but not least, Saturday, we have our teenagers life group, the ambassadors, 11 to 18 years old meeting at that address right there. So somebody say, get connected. Come on. And so after you get connected, we want to make sure that you get mentored. Mentored is a time where you meet with a leader in the church where they're going to hold you accountable, spur you on to do great things with, with, uh, for Jesus through that book, Welcome to Your New Life. That's one-on-one. And after you graduate the one-on-one, you're going to go into the two-on-one class called Disciples That Make Disciples. Amen? God has a call for your life. God is doing amazing things, but he wants to use each and every one of you. And so in this church, we believe that you are called to be a disciple. So if you have any questions about getting mentored, if you're not connected, talk to myself, talk to Jerry or one of the leaders today. We want you to get mentored. And then after that, we want to send you out. Everybody say send. We're going to say go. Come on, go. We got to go. We're going to go out into evangelism, preaching the gospel, different communities here in the city of Chicago, different festivals that we're going out, we're bringing the good news. Where's Rudy at? Is Rudy in here? He's in the back. Okay, so talk to myself. I'll get you connected with Rudy. He's leading out this powerful ministry Saturdays 5 to 8. If you haven't been out there, you got to go out and share the good news. Amen? And so we have a goal of 100 
3,000 disciples here in the city of Chicago, 50 churches here and 500 all around the world. Amen. If, if you believe God is doing it, come on. You just got to get pumped and excited about that. Amen. All right. Now it's time to get into our tithes and offering. Tithes is 10% of your total income. Anything that you give after that becomes your offering. And so here at MPI, you can choose where you want your offering to go to, whether missions or building, all right? So we're about to get into our lesson. We're in lesson number nine on the stewardship section of the Disciples Giving Book. Do we have any good stewards in the house? All right. What is the definition of stewardship? Here we go. Stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. All right. If you have some good things in your life, raise your hand. You got a good job. You got a good family, a good spouse, friends, families, gifts, talents. All right. We are responsible for those things before God. So let's read what the scripture says here. Luke 16, 11, it says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Mm, that's good, isn't it? Here's point number one. Trustworthy with worldly wealth. Jesus was both the wisest and most practical teacher of all time. His insight to stewardship was simple yet profound. Why should God give you true heavenly riches and eternal rewards when you can't manage temporary worldly wealth? In other words, why should God reward you if you've only used your money for your needs and not his kingdom? Amen? So we got to be trustworthy with the things that we have here in this world so we can be trustworthy with eternal riches. So number two, worldly wealth versus true, true riches. Worldly wealth is temporary. True riches are eternal. Worldly wealth is easily lost. True riches can never be taken away. Worldly wealth is earned, both the wicked and the righteous. True riches are only given to the righteous. Amen. So God, guys, so God wants to bless us, correct? As we're faithful to him, we've made righteous by him. If we are faithful with the riches we have here in this world, we will be trustworthy to handle eternal riches. Amen. And he wants to bless us. He wants to pour out those riches to us. And as we, as we remain faithful to him here on this earth, we're storing up our treasure in heaven. Amen. And number three, are you trustworthy? Here are some questions to think about in your own life. Are you trustworthy? Have you been trustworthy with your tithes and offerings? Have you been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth? And will God reward you with true riches? Hmm, that's something to think about. Amen. As we pray, I want you to think about those questions in your heart. So in summary, be trustworthy with worldly wealth in tithes and offerings. Amen. So how do we apply this to our life in three ways? Number one, be faithful in giving your tithe, which is 10% of your total income and offerings. Anything you give, to, you give after your tithe. Number two, ask God to give you a deep insight into differences between worldly wealth and true riches. And number three, be trustworthy in everything you do with your family, church, job, friendships, and finances. Amen. Please stand to your feet. As we recite this confession over our lives, on the count of three, one, two, three, God has called us to be managers that are committing to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise.
fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Amen and amen. And so here at MPI, anytime that you give your tithes and offerings, that goes to the general fund. Again, anything that you give after that is your offering. You can decide whether we, you give to missions or the building fund, amen? And here are the four ways that you can give here at the church. Number one, you can give up here at the buckets during the offering. Two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes in the back, or with myself with your credit or debit card, or through Chase Quick Pay or PayPal at mpichurch.org, amen? Let's recite this scripture together, Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your riches according to his glorious Let's say that one more time. One, two, three. And my God will meet your according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you are good. You are a good, good, good Father, Lord. And you meet all our needs, Lord. We never lack any good thing. And you even give us the desires of our hearts. We thank you that we're blessed to be a blessing, dear God. We thank you. Your word says that we would never see the righteous begging for bread, dear God. So I pray, dear God, that we would receive those words. We would receive those promises and stand upon them. I pray for breakthroughs financially, promotions, and favor over your people. That we would be blessed to be good stewards, dear God. And for, Lord, be a blessing into your kingdom in this city and all over all over the world in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen thank you so much and please come up as you give How many ready to learn about money, 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 money? Money. Come on, one more time. Money, 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 money. Money. Oh, we going to get it all. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready for third and fourth offering today. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. How many had a good Labor Day weekend? Did you guys stay out of trouble? Did you have fun? All right. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Officially, they say fall has started, I guess. But you know what? I'm not going to really think about that. I'm just going to enjoy all the nice weather. I know today it's in the 70s, maybe a little bit up to the 80s, and I got to get the most out of this nice weather. How many like it when it starts to cool down a little bit? I mean, little hoodie, little light hoodie, you know. When it starts to get the heavy hoodie, I get a little sad. And then before you know it, the snow and all of that. But uh, any snow birds here? Anybody like to do stuff in the snow? All right, a few of you. 
All right. Well, you know what? Our church is going to be open 24-7 talking about heaven. Whether it's raining, snowing, sun shining, it doesn't matter. But I know that y'all going to miss me in the chanclas, though. I know y'all going to miss this because I'll start coming in the Timberlands. But you know what? I've become so spoiled by these, uh, these sandals. I don't know if I can go back to the Tims unless Skechers make some Tims because I am really blessed with these right here. But you know what I need? I need a petty, and I don't want to talk about my feet too much. But anybody understand what I'm talking about? Your feet start to crack after. Am I, am I just got too TMI right now? Did I just... <laughs> Did I just forget I was in church real quick? Okay, open up your Bibles. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you know it. My wife will be with us next week. Baby Zoe, uh, Joy, which one am I talking about? Baby Joy is almost two weeks old. I'm wearing the, uh, the birth here bracelet to still remind me that I'm a new dad, and uh, I just love being a new dad. It's amazing. And so let's open up our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We today are in a sermon series on uh, spiritual disciplines, and we've been going through it all summer long. We're going to wrap it up here towards the beginning of the fall. Today we're going to talk about financial stewardship, and we're going to learn about stewarding your money and doing it the right way, and it's going to be an intense introduction that I'm scrolling through right there. How many saw the video that I made about the introduction? Anybody? Okay, about four or five of you. Got about 300 hits. I know that's not a lot, but here's the deal. I had to put it out for the whole community because I don't want people to miss this, and we'll get into that in just a moment. If you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, somebody say, I'm there. Thank you. Let's start in verse 24. We're going to learn about spiritual disciplines today, and one of them is financial stewardship. Here is Paul speaking to the people of Corinth. He said, do you not know that in a race all the runners, what? They run, but how many gets the prize? Thank you, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into what? Strict training. That's where we get the idea of spiritual disciplines from, okay? When we are talking about spiritual disciplines, what we are talking about is strict training, putting your body to work for Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, work that body for Jesus. Work that body for Jesus. You better get in spiritual shape. Some of y'all just looked at your neighbor and like, no, I'm not saying that to them. No, I'm not doing that. That ain't working. Okay, I didn't mean to get anybody in trouble. I just got holy intentions here today. Singles can mingle, but I don't want to get anybody else in trouble, okay? What I'm just trying to say is this, is that you better get into strict training. You better tell your body that it's got to get up and move in for Jesus. The Olympians, they have to get up and move to win a prize. We need to get up and move to win the greatest prize because look at what it says here. They do it to get a crown. Those Olympians compete in games. They go into strict training to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last for how long? Forever. Everybody go, forever. Forever. I'm best friends with Jesus for how long? forever. He's my BFF. Come on. Verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to whose body? My body. My neighbor's body? My boss's body? That neighbor that kept me up to one in the morning's body? No, come on, somebody. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it what? My slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Everybody say strict training. Everybody say spiritual disciplines. Thank you. That's what we've been learning about all summer long. What is spiritual disciplines? What is strict training for our spirits? It is the commands and the practices a disciple show in their life to grow spiritually because they know God. Everybody say show, grow, and know. 
Thank you. If you've learned something from these spiritual disciplines and you're putting them into practice from the weeks prior, from the preaching that has come across, can I get a big amen? How about Bible reading? Y'all doing that? Family in order? Amen. Scripture memorization? I wish I could just put somebody on the spot right now and be like, tell me your scripture you memorized last week. You know, I remembered one, but I forgot it. <laughs> I was going to say it to you right now, but I got to be honest. Sometimes I forget the scriptures I memorize. The Lord is good and compassionate to all. His mercy endures forever. Psalms 145. I'm going to tell on myself right now. Let's go to Psalm 145.5. I learned this one, and I actually put it to a song. Oh, it's not even Psalm 45. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Look at that scripture. Oh, here we go. Here it is. Here it is. Psalm 45, 9. The Lord is good. He is compassionate on all he has made. How many want to memorize that with me right now? Okay, let's learn together. The Lord is good to all. 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 Okay. He has compassion on all he has made. He has compassion on all he has made. He has compassion on all he has made. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. Woo! You did it. Anybody else do it with me? Come on, give it up for Jesus. Woo, got a little nervous. Got a little nervous up here. Okay, thank you, Lord. Now I'll see if you remember that at the end of the service, right? Okay, soul journaling. Notice where we say amen if you guys have been doing this. Soul journaling. Okay, how about praying and worshiping? Discipleship in Christ likeness. How about Christian service? Doing all things unto the Lord, right? Public evangelism. I don't want nobody lying on this. Have you guys been telling others about Jesus? Last week was spiritual meditation. Have you been hanging out with Jesus, your sensei, your guru? Jesus is your master. No one else should be your master. If you want to do yoga at the gym, you make sure that that person is not a spiritual master or a sensei or a guru. Now, sometimes in the karate world and things like that, you can call somebody your sensei. But make sure you only have one God, one master, one Lord, one Savior. Amen? Because sometimes these guys, they try to sneak in. I remember one woman was going to our church, and she was going to a, um, a yoga clinic downtown. And she said, you know, it's cool. I'm learning a lot there. And I said, let me just look it up because some of the things she was saying was a little bit more than stretching and exercising, and it came out to be he thought he was Jesus. And uh, you got to be careful, and that and these people they really have a lot of deception. But it's okay to stretch, it's okay to do the downward dog. Can I get an amen? Just remember, you only have one master. Now, we learned how to do it better than just stretching because stretch you could stretch out all day and still not change your stinking thinking. The spiritual meditation of the Bible is powerful, uh, and, and, the, and the word is powerful because it's on the word of God and it separates your thoughts like bone from marrow. Amen. How about financial stewardship? You ready for this? And then next week's going to be what? Christian fellowship. And then the last one, but not least, will be church involvement. Thank you. What does it look like when you put it all together? If you're new with us, we're so glad that you're here today. 
When you put it all together, this is what spiritual disciplines looks like in your spiritual life. Number one, you should know God. This is how you are saved. You are not saved because you are so disciplined. You are not saved because of how much scripture you memorize, how much you pray, read your Bible, how much you meditate, preach the gospel. We are not Jehovah Witnesses. We are not Mormons. We are not a works-based religion like Islam. We teach a salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Can I get a what, what? Amen. So where does your walk with God start? It starts with knowing Jesus, knowing him as your God and Savior. How many believe that today? That's what it means to confess Jesus as Lord. And after you have been saved, do you believe now you are born again and share in the divine nature? How many of you were born first naughty by nature, but born again by the Spirit in divine nature? Amen. And now you can do all that God commanded you to do. Somebody say, I believe. See, that's where you start in your Christian journey, knowing Jesus, being saved, understanding what happened on the inside of you when you became a new creation, and believing that all of the commands of God are yes and amen through Jesus. You can do all things. Greater is he that's, than he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, the showing, the showing of your Christian life is the things we call spiritual disciplines. This is where now you take your flesh and make it subjected to your spirit. Do you remember when Jesus was on the, the mountain there praying before he got uh, betrayed by Judas and his disciples fell asleep and he went to wake them up and he taught them this principle. Does anybody remember this story here? And then Jesus said to him, hey guys, the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. Or you can say it the other way. The flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Inside the Christian, Jesus has made you new and that new you is desiring to be obedient to the things of God. You truly desire to love your neighbor. How many of you have felt conviction since being a Christian when you didn't keep the commands of God? That's because the new you is going on the path of righteousness and sin doesn't feel right anymore. And so you shouldn't get upset with conviction. You should welcome it and be quick to repent. Conviction is different than condemnation because condemnation tells you how terrible you are. That comes from the devil. He wants you to give up. But conviction shows you who you are in Christ and what you can do through Christ. Amen? When I see who I am in Christ, that he has made me sinless, I will sin less. When I see that he became sin for me so that I might become righteous in him, I will sin less. Can I get an amen? amen. And that's why all those things are there so that we can grow up in our spiritual life. Everybody say, I got to grow up to go up. You have to grow up in goodness and knowledge and self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection and love. That is a list from Peter that he talks about in spiritual growth. And then love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness are the things that Paul talks about in the fruit of the Spirit. And we've already gone through all of these lessons. And so what it means is if you want to grow in, in, in your knowledge of God, you have to show that you're willing to be obedient. Because a lot of people want to grow and they know God, but they're not willing to show that they know God. And the Bible says this, and I always love to share it with people because we do have a lot of new people in our church. Our church is growing, having two wonderful services. Look at what it says in Ephesians 2, and I'm going to show you in a modern uh, uh, translation here called the message. Look at what it says here. It says, no, we neither make nor save ourselves. Somebody say, we don't make ourselves, nor do we save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. 
He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, the work we had better be what? Doing. Look at your neighbor and say, work it. Okay, but do, do we work it ourselves? No, we work it in cooperation with Jesus. We work with him synergistically, not monergistically. Monergistically means that God imposes his will upon us as if he was the uh, puppet master and we are the puppet. No, we are synergistically cooperating with the Father. The, Peter said it like this, that we partake in the divine nature. Literally, the participation you have in the divine nature of Christ is a dance with the divine. Christ changed you and saved you so that your will might be free from a sinful nature, joined and intermingled with his nature, that you might live with him, walk with him, and talk with him. This is the growing of the Christian life, but it comes in that cooperation of the showing. And so we have to let the Lord show us when to pray so that we can show him that we're obedient. We have to let the Lord show us how to meditate. You know, what scriptures do I pick out? I pick out the ones the Lord shows me. Then I meditate and memorize them. And, and when the Lord shows you what to do and you show him back that you want to do it, that results in growing. And John 15 talks about you growing as a fruitful vine that bears much fruit for the Father's glory. God wants you to grow in all of these things for his glory. Do you want to grow up? Come on, somebody say, I'm going to grow up so I can go up to a whole nother level. <laughs> Give yourselves a hand clap for that. Thank you. This, this is better than a late night talk show, but it is even more serious because it's about ready to go down. Look at your neighbor and say, we may not see him smile again. <laughs> you may not see me smile for a while, okay? So if you think I take this lightly, uh, I don't. But I am glad that I have a congregation that makes me feel special when I do my little idioms. Whole nother level. <laughs> like if you are new to our church, it's been that way for a while. We just have these little things we do, and it's cool, right? Y'all ready for this? This is what I got to talk about before we talk about money. This grieves my heart deeply because I'm a pastor that was not born and raised in a pastor's home. I didn't come from a well-to-do pastor's family, was handed a nice church and grew a church and my dad did all that. No, I came from a Christian businessman's home. I am the first in my family to do ministry. Many of our Bible college students are the same way. As a matter of fact, there is no one that has gone to our Bible college or is a pastor here that had their family as a pastor. Most of our church, even here today, have not been a part of other churches. It used to be as high as 80% of our church was one to the Lord directly through our evangelism efforts. Now, because the church has gotten more popular and we're excited that it is, our number of new converts versus church transplants are probably getting more to be about 60% of one to the Lord as opposed to what it used to be. But that's still tremendously high. Most churches have about 80% 
of church growth coming by people looking for other churches. Now, I say all that to say this. When I came into ministry, it was never about a reputation. It was never about televangelism. It was never about money. It was never about books. I was a high school dropout. I was on drugs. The Lord saved me, radically changed me. While I was delivering pizza to a nursing home of all places, uh, and I'll just tell you the story. The Lord put a call on my life. So here I'm driving, uh, delivering a pizza to a nursing home. I go in with the pizza. As I walk in, there's this uh, older woman suffering from dementia. My grandmother ended up suffering from dementia and passed. When I saw her in that state, it was the saddest day of my life. I've never been sadder than watching my grandmother suffer from dementia. So anyways, I walk into this nursing home. An old woman's in a wheelchair. You know, you could tell like her mind's not right. And and she just reaches out her hand and she's like, hello. And, And for me, I'm just like, God bless you. And I'm like reaching out my hand to her, you know. And the moment I do that, the nurse's aides, they go, don't touch her. Don't touch her. She'll bite you. She's crazy. You know, that's literally what the nurse's aide said to me. And I go, listen, you don't know where I have been in life. This old woman does not scare me at all. Oh, God bless you. And I shook her hand and I told her Jesus loves her. And I drop off the pizza. You got to remember, I've only been saved a few months, just a few months. And I go back into my car and instantly the Lord just says to me, I have called you to reach out your hands to hurting people. Others will try to tell you to stop, but you keep reaching out your hand. And I felt like the Lord just was pouring like hot oil, syrup, whatever you can think of all over me. I was like, whoa, whoa. I was crying and weeping. I know. It's like when you say syrup, it changes the meaning. Like I say oil, you're like, praise him, Jesus. Praise Jesus. I say syrup, you're like, oh, it's a little weird. Was it, was it like the baking syrup kind? No, but listen, it just felt like oil, like ah, I'm being touched by God weeping in the car. And so I've been doing this for a long time. And the first places God told me to go preach was the inner city of Fort Wayne. And then I went to Bible College in New Orleans. And I went to Bourbon Street and been to 12 Mardi Gras. I'll be at another Mardi Gras this year. And I'm actually going to New Orleans in October to preach for a team that, uh, the Raven team, some of you know them, who go out there every night to Bourbon Street. So anyways, I've always been out reaching to hurting people. Now, you're here today. You may not be uh, someone that would be on Bourbon Street or you may not be in some of the projects that I've reached, but all of us have had hurts, right? So I'm still reaching out to hurting people. And some of you may come from those uh, direct hurting areas, but it doesn't matter. If you're hurting, we love you. Can I get an amen? Amen. But but, but now watch this. The moment I joined the calling of ministry or or joined the club of, of being a pastor, I got instantly lumped in with all these other guys who had been doing crazy stuff before I was even saved. Like, I wasn't around for Jim Baker and whatever he was building out there. I don't even know if some of you know who Jim Baker was. But he built, like, a Christian Disneyland and started selling timeshares to the people, the supporters, to go live there. And, in, in like, let's say he had, like, 10,000 shares. He started going, man, I can make more money if I sell 20,000 shares. So he started pimping behind the pulpit. I wasn't even saved then. That's not my fault. Are you listening to me? And, and then, uh, you know, like Jimmy Swagger, you know, like the televangelist crying and weeping while he's having sex with prostitutes. I wasn't even saved. I didn't even know the Lord. But once I got saved, and actually I was in Bible college in Louisiana with a lot of people who knew about Jimmy Swagger, I just got lumped in with Jimmy. Like, you're like Jimmy. You're a person that behind the scenes has prostitutes and is spending money with, you know, golden, whatever, golden uh, faucets and air-conditioned dog houses. How many of you have ever felt as a Christian you've been lumped in with other crazy Christians and it wasn't your fault? 
Okay, this is what I want to talk about when we talk about money. Because the moment I come to a church, even as great a church as Metro Praise International, I start talking about money, a lot of people's guards go up. Because you may have heard about churches and money in a lot of wrong ways. Let's say you're a new Christian and Metro Praise is your first church. You have been made, you might have been made to think that pastors shouldn't even get paid for doing this. Like, like, like the baseball players should get paid and you should pay to go watch them play and they should make a lot of money, but the pastor, he should be broke, busted, and disgusted. So you have to learn that it's a good thing we take care of our church and our pastors. Like, we should care more about them than we care about people who hit balls with bats. Are you listening to me? Look at your neighbor and say, it just got real. Okay, so we should care more about, and, and, we, and, we, and maybe you came from a place where somebody criticized your church because your pastor had a nice house or a nice car, but you know, of course, they didn't criticize their boss for having those things, and they didn't criticize the fashion designer of the clothes that they buy or the movie stars that they watch. And, you know, they didn't criticize them, but they, they thought the pastor wasn't supposed to have them. Are you, are you listening? But then there are some real, real concerns that come up. Maybe you heard about the pastor from Indiana, the Baptist church that picks up children on buses, that Pastor Jack Scott started having sex with a 16-year-old in his office. And now you start to maybe get a little bit like leery of trusting pastors. If he does that, what else does he do, right? Or maybe you've heard about people in this city who have lied and stolen from the church. One of the churches that we used to let share our building ended up closing because the pastor started stealing all the money and the people couldn't trust them anymore. I mean, that's part of what happens, right? So here's what I want to do. I want to let you know what I feel about the church and money before we talk about you and money. Because here's what I think the devil wants to do. Because if he's behind sin, if he's behind the lying, if he's behind all of that, then he would love for you today to not hear the commands about God in regards to money because you're so busy blaming other people about how they handle their money. So if the devil can just distract you just a little bit and get you focused on this guy, then you won't pay attention to what's happening in your heart and wallet. And so I want to start off by saying, let's clear the slate. There is no misunderstanding about this church and finances. First of all, Pastor Griselda, would you stand up for us, please? She is our church administrator. Is she here? There she is. Let's give it up for Griselda. If any of you, and this is not even a sassy statement to you. This is a direct fact. If any of you at any time want her to send you our financial statements that we get every month, she'll do it gladly. It's in a PDF document on our Facebook page for the governing elders. So if you are a governing elder here, would you stand up, please? I see Cynthia Rodan is one. Andrew in the back. The Romans are back. Let's give it up for them. Amen. Thank you. They've already looked at the finances from August. They know what's in the bank account. If you ever want to look at it, you can do that. My wife and I were allotted $100,000 when we started the church. The pastors that were there with me said, your wife 50, you 50, go for it. In 10 years, we've never even made it. The last year that we've even come close was around 60000 My heart as a pastor is not to take money from you and have the church suffer. 
I have a degree. I have abilities to make that money in other churches. I could start as a professor with my master's degree with 75000 and my wife could start at 50000 We together could easily make 120000 The church just set us up for 100000 and we've never even pulled it. I have no secrets to you. If you don't want to support us and our family, then I say go find another church, all right? And if you go there with that same attitude, I guarantee you you're going to run into problems too. But I'll tell you this, you'll never find a church more open about its finances than us. I just told you what I made. I just told you you can see not only the last month, but we always do it backed up three months. So you're going to get August, July, and June. When you look at it, you can see where all the money went. No secrets. I don't know why, personally, other churches don't do it. I can't speak for them because I have a lot of friends that are, are good pastors, but they don't want to get that much into the, uh, uh, the transparency realm. That's between them and God. For me... The one who has no secrets has nothing to hide. You understand what I'm saying? So if somebody comes to you and goes, look at the car pastor drives. Look, well, you can say, I know what pastor makes. He made about 68000 Look, I'll tell you what he made last month. He made about 5500 last month. About 2500 went to his housing. To live, you, know, you, you can look at it. And once again, if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. Okay, and that's not to threaten you if you don't understand what I should have for having five children, a master's degree, my wife with a bachelor's degree, having start the church in our house from nothing. Then just talk to the Ramones, uh, Ramones, the Ramans. Am I still not pronouncing your Castellanos. That's right. You have taken on his name. I have known them before they were married. They were in a house Bible study. Just stand up again, please. Clap for him. Just clap. Jessica and Salvador have been with us from the home Bible study almost 11 years ago. Before that, I married them. He was wearing chucks and he had a mohawk. Come on. And I'm telling you, if you don't know why we do what we do, if you haven't been to my house, if you haven't seen my family, talk to them or Cynthia Rodano Griselda. Amen. Thank you. But can now I say some things today? Can I say, somebody say preach it. I want to start today's sermon by addressing the elephant in the room. And that is the terrible reputation churches and pastors have today in our culture in regards to money. I want to humbly acknowledge and repent for all the manipulation, the greed, the lying, the mismanagement, the stealing that has been done in the name of God. I'm not saying all of us are like this. I just want to address the ones that are. No misunderstanding here. First, I repent on behalf of self-centered pastors who not only benefit from the church in the way of tithes and offerings, but also by charging from everything to their anniversary dinners, to overpriced sermons, to books, concerts, and conferences. I have had our accountant tell me, you need to get the profit off of these books so you can guard yourself as the church gets bigger. I said, no, I, write, I wrote these books as the pastor of the church. These books belong and the profit belongs to the church. Then I put them for free online as a PDF. And then if you want to use Kindle and get them, you can get them for 99 cents because that's the least I can charge for them. All of our concerts are free, which we call a worship service. All of our conferences are free because we call it church. Now, now listen, if somebody else wants to charge you for that, I don't consider that stealing. I'm just saying to you, I'm sorry for those who do it with wrong motives. 
And I'm tired of us getting used to doing it. Now, some people get defensive by this, and they go, well, Pastor, we spend money on other stuff. We should be able to spend money on this. Granted, I get it. But my thing is, if you already are a tither to the church, you put on the lights, you paid for the carpet to be clean, why do you got to get charged another fee to walk through the door on a different day? I don't understand why now it's a conference and you got to pay to get in. Well, hold on, Jack. Am I a tither or am I not a tither? How did that chair get there? Do I have to pay for it twice? Oh, well, we brought in guest speakers and they need your help. Well, let's take up a love offering like Paul did. What, they have no faith? No, they have a rider, and that's what most of them have. We want 10K. We want to get picked up in a limo. We want to fly first class. I could tell on some people right now and burst your bubble about a lot of people you see, but I won't. I won't go there, but I'll tell you like this. It's about time that pastors start looking to the Bible for their example and not to the CEOs and the U2s and the Rihannas of our culture. We want to give what has been freely given to us. Look at what it says. Jesus said that whatever we freely receive, we should freely give. So that's our principle. I've freely received the ability to preach to you. That's why you get it free online, on the websites, podcasts, the books, PDFs, free. If you, if you need it, it's free. But what I have to pay for, I got to pay for a paperback company or a publishing company to, to print out paperback. I got to pay for a, a, a Chicago for Jesus t-shirt company to make that thing. Are you listening to me? So then we, we, we charge, but we charge reasonable and put it all back in the church, not into a person's pocket. Can I get an amen? I'm so sick and tired of people pimping, uh, the pastors pimping the people. I am deeply sorry that in many churches, I'm sorry, listen to this, this is me. I am deeply sorry that in many churches today, godly people can be faithful in their tithes and offerings and still made to feel guilty if they do not spend their money on every additional thing the church promotes. Peter considered this kind of pimping in the pulpit, pursuing dishonest gain. That's my commitment to you. Can I get an amen? Concerts are free. Our youth events are free. Everything we do is free. That's it. Anything that we have to pay for, we'll ask you to pay for. So if you want to go to Devil's Lake and sometimes we take trips out to Wisconsin, i got to pay a hotel company to do that. Pay with us. If you can't, we'll do a scholarship for as many as we can. But that's not going to be where we consider the pinnacle of our spirituality where only certain people can come and take time off. The, the pinnacle of our spirituality, the place you want to be is on Sunday. And the things that we do here and the things that we do around here are always going to be F-R-E-E free. Somebody say amen. You know why? Because I have faith for God to pay the bills. Amen. Now, I'm not trying to be too sassy here, but hear my heart on this next one, though. Second, I repent for self-centered churches. Not just for the self-centered pastors. I repent for self-centered churches that only look out for the interests of those who are well off inside their walls. As if the church was designed to be a clique for the trendy hipsters or a social club for the upper class. See, when I first started off in church, it was a lot of this going on. The elders, the deacons, they all were kind of rich country club people. I grew up in the suburbs of Fort Wayne, Indiana. But what I see now in Chicago is this kind of like this trendy hipster kind of church where they all shop at the same place. They all get their lattes the same way. You know what? It looks like the same race, the same culture, the same look. And it's also trendy. 
trending. If you don't fit in, you can't get on the pulpit. You can't be in the leadership. Listen to me. I didn't come here as an Italian-American from the suburbs of Fort Wayne, Indiana to find other Chicago Shore people to pump their fists with me and like the dance music that I like. I came to win souls for Jesus Christ. That means I'll go out to the west side. I'll go to Belmont and Clark. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. I'll go to the high schools. I'll knock on doors. Why? Because it doesn't matter what nation, cultural culture you're from, what music you like, what age group you come from, or even if you find my sense of humor funny. I can live with you not digging that. But what I came to do was lift up Jesus Christ. That's what the church should look like. Amen? The church should look like our culture. Yes, there should be some people from the upper class, the educated, those that own things can do things. Yes, there should be some that are poor and struggling and hurting. Yes, there should be some with uh, different cultures, African-American, Latino, European, etc. But listen to me. We are not here to favor a class. We are not here to favor a trend. We are not here to look trendy. We're here to look like the community. James said, by their discriminating of the poor and favoring the rich, they've become judges with evil thoughts. How do you become an elder? Well, I just tithe a lot. And they may not say it like that immediately, but I talk to my friends of these churches, and I ask them, how did this dude become an elder? Did he go to classes? Did he show himself to be faithful? Did he make disciples that make disciples? No, he just owns a business in town. He was given a lot, and so we wanted to honor him. You know why? Because these pastors, they keep up with that stuff, and they know big bucks because, you know, these people will come up to him and go, you know, pastor, I just, I just was curious. How do I give my tithe of 100000 Well, is it your tithe? Yeah, because I make a million. Well, you march your behind right up here. You drop it in the bucket like the Bozo Show, like everybody else. And you go back to your seat. That's how you give it. But you see, they want to let the pastor know. See, I be dropping it like it's hot in the offering. And I just want to let you know, when I come down here skipping... I'm dropping that 100K right in there. And so I want you to remember me. I want you to remember me. I'm like, I will only remember to rebuke you if I see you trying that around here. I, don't, I was preaching a storefront until I'm 100 years old before I bat an eye at you, sir. You can't buy my soul. You ain't got enough. Jesus bought it with the blood of, his, the, blood of the lamb, bought my soul. You ain't got enough. I won't trade my soul for anything except Jesus. Amen? But that's how it starts. And, and even as a new church, it was like that with us, you know. Pastor, I hear you're doing the building fund, and I can give you 2000 Just Just tell me what you need. And I fell for it at first. I, I was just like, oh, he's just wanting to help out. So then I had to tell him what I needed, and then I began to realize, like, hold on. Aren't I just telling the church what I need every week? Like, why do I now have to call you up and tell you what I need? Because then he wanted to pull on favors. And I began to realize, no, 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 no. We ain't playing that game here. Everybody say, not here. These self-centered churches will spend thousands of dollars on their buildings and programs to entertain the overfed lazy sheep, yet they hardly do anything for the community around them. At the most, they may have one community a day a year. It's community day. It's community day. Let's go out and drop Easter eggs from a helicopter. Let's go out and do the Bozo show out there in the Bonsai House. And I'm cool with all that, right? But, but let's just do it for the once a year time we all care for the community. Yet week after week, they offer no help to the poor, no rides, clothing, or food. The single mom and the fatherless kids who are related to the orphan and the widow in the Bible, the troubled youth, the struggling middle class get nothing. 
even to join the marriage class. Well, there's a $25 fee for the marriage class. Why? Why am I paying a fee to be in your class? I write books. Do you understand? I teach these things. Why are we charging them a fee to go to the marriage class? Well, we need the materials. How broke is your church? What You don't have a, uh, you, you don't have a copier? What does $25 in materials look like? Now, somebody may say, well, we're buying them from over here. Okay, well, let's just buy our materials. But are we now setting this up as our standard? Like, if you don't have $25, you can't join the marriage Bible study, the marriage class. Can I get an amen? Now, I believe in responsibility. My children don't get things for free as they get older. They learn to work for it. But there is a difference between making money the deciding factor and making responsibility the deciding factor. Let me just tell you this side story here because I'm going to mention a church I used to work for, not naming names, so don't try to guess it. Listen, I worked for a church. This young man was every day at the church as I was a youth pastor. Whenever I needed him, he was there. When we built a cafe for the youth, he was there. Every time I needed him, he was there. So the young adult group was going to Devil's Lake. That's been one of my favorite places to go. They should rename it Jesus Lake. I know it's an awesome place by Baraboo, Wisconsin. But here's the deal. He didn't have the money to go. But yet, this is the young man who's in college. He's there every time I need him. He's helping out his family, but he just didn't have the money to go. It's like $100. And so I go to our church of a million-dollar budget, and I'm like, y'all can loosen this up a little bit so we can get some of these guys to go. I mean, isn't that special? And I remember one of the ladies that was there in my group, and her dad was a deacon, deacon around, tried to tell us we shouldn't give him any money. If he can't afford it, he shouldn't come. And I'm thinking to myself, if this guy would have just charged us $10 an hour for the stuff he built, the times he was our custodian, all the setting up, we would owe him $5,000. And guess what now? That young man's the youth pastor of that church. See, I knew the potential of that young man. Not wasting money. You're investing in people's lives. I know we can't do it for everybody all the time, but let's act like we care sometimes. Amen? Let's act like a church like we care. Oh, Lord, help me. And so I remember, here's another story about that wonderful church. God bless them. I remember being in a similar kind of church. They turned me down for a van. I said, guys... We are living in a community where there's a lot of mothers and kids. They can't come to church on the bus. If you get them all together, it's like $20 for them to go from one part of town to the other. Or if they, you know, they need to buy that bus card or just you know, $5 each way, $10. And if they come to church twice a week, that's $20. You know, this is expensive. Let's buy a van. We bought, we have two vans. We've gotten them as cheap as $3,000. And the most we just spent was $8,000 because we needed that thing to run a little bit better than the $3,001. But that $3,001 be hanging on. Amen. It was like 4,500, whatever. It is hanging on. That's the blue beast. But then they're like, no, no, we don't have any money for that. And I'm like, okay. And then, and then we'll be like, we said as the youth leaders, we'll pick them up. We'll pick them up. Then they got a complaint from one of their kids in the youth group talking about the kids we're picking up coming to the youth group not being the way they like them to be. Complained to their mommy and daddy. And mommy and daddy said, now stop picking up them poor inner city kids. We don't want them here. Now, when I make this voice, it's going to be like boss hog. We don't want them poor in the city kids around here. They're trouble. Within 24 hours, I'm being honest with you, I resigned from that church. It was my conviction because I just, we, we were so far apart on what we were there to do. I had planted a church first in New Orleans as a young man, 22 years old. 
And because of finances, the people were so poor, I felt like the white Robin Hood, always getting the money from the white, rich suburban churches to invest into the poor African-American neighborhoods. I worked in nine different housing projects. We couldn't afford it after a while. I shut it down. I took on a big gig, I mean, a gig here in a bigger church as a youth pastor. But when we began to hit walls like that, I said, I'm I'm done. I said, I'm not going to pretend like I'm doing ministry here anymore. You know, I know what I'm doing nine to five. I know what you're doing nine to five. I know we're not doing what this says. And now we're going to bicker over things like this? Now we can't even pick them up. You said I couldn't get a van. Now you're saying we can't pick them up? I'm not bitter. I'm just better. I started a new church. Amen? Praise God. But here's the thing. Where is the compassion of Jesus' churches like this, especially in a hurting city? And then lastly, I repent for every cowardly, lying, Satan-inspired leader that instead of resigning from their church and pursuing a criminal life, actually remained in the body of Christ to rob God's people of their money. And everybody said... Amen. I pray they get arrested, sent to jail for breaking the laws of both God and man, and don't get out until they've returned all the money to the last penny to all the people they've stolen it from. Jesus said that this is the righteous punishment in this lifetime, not only in hell to come, but in this lifetime for those who proudly act in greed and oppress others. Can I hear an amen? Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 59. Everybody look at your neighbors. I'm doing this and just say it's an introduction. Yeah, I haven't even got to the message yet. I just had to say this to clear the way. Just had to say this to clear the way. Look at, here it is, verse 59. Let me get back into the NIV. Look at what it says. As you are going with your adversaries to the magistrates, try to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. When you make enemies with the righteous people of God and you don't make the problem, uh, the situation right, you deserve to go to a debtor's jail. A debtor's jail is where you pay back every single thing you stole. That's biblical. If we were to implement that today, that would have helped me as a young person when I was ripping off people. We call it now community service, but it's still not the same. I was stealing and then I had to go clean up somewhere. No, no, no. Put me to work and earn back the person's money I stole. Are you listening to me? Okay. Are you guys ready for the message now? Okay. Let's go to some of these scriptures right here that I have prepared for you today to talk about the subject of um, financial stewardship. It's about you now. Everybody say it's about me. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And let me give you the definition of financial stewardship. It is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. We are learning that in the giving book that we listen to every week during this uh, time of tithe and offering. There's, there's four different sections of the giving book that I wrote that you can get for free online, givingbook.org. And today we learn about financial stewardship. So today's message is actually really similar to that. And so everybody say it on the count of three. One, two, three. The wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. It's a spiritual discipline. How many know it's going to take some discipline to manage your money? How many know it's going to take some strict discipline? Putting your body into slavery. Slapping that hand from getting that coach purse sometimes. Come on, ladies. Men, slapping that hand before you buy those Jordans. Or older people here, slapping that hand before you go buy that boat. I can't even tell you how many times I've been tempted to buy a boat this summer. I'm just being honest with you. I was so tempted. To buy a boat because I want one so bad, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Help me. But God says it's not time. 
It's not time. you got to do it God's way. So you know what I got? And you all may find this funny, but it was the Lord's way of teaching me patience. I bought a kayak. A little kayak. So maybe today you'll see me down Fox River just kayaking down or going down for a romantic stroll right there in the Chicago River. But you got to take your baby steps. My wife and I started off in a one-bedroom apartment, you know. You start off with what you have, and you build up from there. Let's look at 1 Corinthians, I mean 1 Timothy 6. If you're there, say I'm there. Here it is. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So if I want great gain, what are the two things that I need? What? Godliness and what? Contentment. There's the summary right there of everything else Paul's going to teach us. Everything you need to know about financial stewardship can be summarized right there. Godliness contentment. When we preach in India, when we go overseas in Nepal, when we preach in Mexico or in other places that don't have as much as us, I've been to the village of uh, Nayarit in Chilapa, Mexico, when you teach the people, they already look at us like we're rich Americans. We have a closet full of clothes. We have multiple cars in our driveway. We have air conditioning in our house. We have running water, all of these things that a lot of people around the world don't have. But what do we teach them is the same thing we are taught here. Godliness with contentment. So when I go to the Indian village, I say, be godly, live for Jesus, and then be content with what you have. With that, you will have great gain. From that position, you can move on to other things. But if you ever lose godliness, money will never replace your relationship with God. And listen, and if you ever lose contentment, no money will ever make you content. Talk to rich people today that you would consider rich. Well, let's put it this way. You're rich to what you thought, uh, you know, what you had when you were a teenager, right? If you ask a teenager right now, what, what's the kind of money, realistically, I want a billion dollars. No, like if you just ask them, like, what do you think you could have a nice life with? They would probably say thirty dollars or $40,000. And most of us in you are $30,000, dollars $40,000. Like, Pastor, pray for me. It is so hard. It is so hard, Lord. You know, and it's, it, and it's like that. And then what do people with thirty dollars or $40,000 say? If I could just have hundred k, if I could just break into the six figures, if I could just make it rain every now and then on my family vacations to Disney World. And then you talk to those people at Disney World. Hello, somebody. Wife has to work 50 hours. Man, you know, father working 50 hours. Yeah, they're both pulling down about 60, 70. Houses worth about 140, you know, the family income. But they are pulling it in so many different directions where they're losing. They're losing. It's not content anymore. So where do we start? Godliness, contentment. Now look at the, look at the reason why. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. As the old saying goes, you'll never see a U-Haul following a hearse. You can't take it with you. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That's where we start. Food, clothing, let's go from here. Now, I know many of us want to say shelter and all of those things, and that's important, medicine and all of those things. But you could really live without shelter. You really could. You can live without medicine. Maybe not long, but you could live. And so the Bible is like starting with like the basic thing. Like if you were sick, you know what I mean. But the basic thing, like if you're eating and you have clothes, you can live. And somebody's like, I couldn't live like that in Chicago. You can down there at Wicker Drive, right? Or it's not Wicker, Wacker Drive. Sometimes, like, we always hear these people wanting to feed the homeless. And I love the homeless. I brought in over 30 into my house at different times to help them. But when you go down to Wacker Drive, dude, they are, like, living like the condominium lifestyle for homeless people. They literally have so much stuff they have down there. I think the thing that we just need to do every now and then is just shake them up a little bit and say, do you want a job or do you want more enablement to live out here? Can I get an amen to that? 
But I believe in Christian charity. Christians give the most out of any other people group. You'll never really see the atheists having homeless shelters. You won't see the naturalists going out and running orphanages. It's always the Christians because we believe in this. But we start with food and clothing. Now watch this, verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Notice that it doesn't say those who want to be successful. Success is not against God in the Bible. God wants you to be successful, but he doesn't want you to do it for the sake of money. Don't do it for the sake of riches. And we'll talk about how to manage wealth in just a moment. But the idea is you do things in life to, unto the Lord as uh, your best to be successful. If money follows, great, but you're not doing it to be rich. Your motivation is to be successful. Does everybody get that? Okay, so what if someone today as a CEO said, God called me to go work in the schools as a teacher, and they take like a severe pay cut, but they're the best teacher around. Are they successful? Are they rich? No, not by that definition. They're not rich, right? But they chose success over the riches. But what if that man says, oh, I don't want to hear the call of God. I want to go be a CEO. He pursues that, that job, and he does all of these things, but now he falls into temptation. Maybe he's more apt to have an affair while he's taking all these trips with his secretary, or maybe he starts making uh, cutting corners because it's never enough, and he starts cheating people and cheating the government. And so he puts himself in this position. That's what Paul is trying to tell us is don't put yourself in the position where money is your God, where riches is what you're pursuing, because you'll fall into harmful things. You'll plunge yourself into ruin. Now, now this is the famous passage of verse 10. Let's read it together. One, two, three. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, before we just point our finger at Donald Trump and go like, I know that's that dude. That dude loves money, and he has certainly pierced himself with many griefs. Hey, but I can just do the same thing back to Hillary Clinton. That woman and her foundation loves money and has wandered from the truth, right? So we can point at the big people at top, but you know what? As a pastor, some of the people that I've seen do this the most are the struggling middle class. The, the average Joe. Why? Because it's never enough for them what they have. They keep spending more on their credit card. They keep trying to get a car that they can't afford. They keep buying clothes to keep up with the trendsetters in their neighborhood. And they pierce themselves with many griefs. And so this is not just pointing the finger at, at rich, corrupt people or people we don't like with a lot of money. This is pointing back to us. Paul is saying to us, make sure you don't love money. And you wander from the faith and you pierce yourself with griefs through your credit cards, through your car payments, through your fashion, through you having to go out to eat at certain restaurants. Don't do that. Be content with godliness. If you have food and clothing, praise God and build your life from there. Can I get an amen? Now we'll skip down to verse 17. Don't have time to go through the whole passage. But he takes up that thought in this verse right here. He says, now command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our what? For our what? Enjoyment. Is it okay to be happy? Is it okay to have more than enough and spend it on nice things? Yes. But here's the idea. If you have enough to live this way, and what is rich according to the Bible is to have more than enough for your family, to give to the church, and then to give to others. After you have made all you can, saved all you can, given all you can, if you see you can continue that lifestyle, this is rich. This is a wealthy lifestyle. 
There is not a dollar amount on that lifestyle. It is a principled lifestyle. So listen, if you make $30,000 and you can live off of $20,000, you are living a rich lifestyle according to the Bible. You are wealthy in that sense. Why? Because you pay bills. You live within your means. You have enough for yourself. You're able to give it to others to save, and now you can enjoy the bounty of what God gives you. Can I hear an amen? So being rich is not a sin, but putting your hope in your riches is the sin. So in in Paul's day, he's not going to say, let's all just become broke, busted, and disgusted and live on a commune somewhere. What he is saying is, let's not love the money. Let's not pursue the money. Let's pursue the plan of God with godliness and contentment. And as we become blessed, as people become rich in this world, let them not be arrogant. Let them not be arrogant because economies can change just like that, right? I mean, we saw that with the recession. But command them to be rich in what? Good deeds. And to be generous and willing to what? To share. In this way, they will treasure, uh, store up for, lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Now, can I blow your mind here, everybody? To the third world culture of the Bible where they didn't have toilet paper and Jesus wiped himself with his left hand. That just woke you up, didn't it? To the third world culture of the Bible, we are all rich and we are all potentially these people. Most of us are these people. If Paul were to come into your world right now and see how you're living with separate rooms for your families and running water and jewelry ladies and multiple outfits. When I was in India doing conferences, most of them wore the same clothes the whole entire week. You see, when they would see us, they would go, oh my goodness, you are rich in this present world. Don't be arrogant. Don't be like the housewives of Jersey Shore. Don't be like these young rappers and these young uh, sports stars who waste all their money. Put your hope in God, Chicago. Put your hope in the Lord who richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. Yes, he's given you the college education, that nice house, the ability to go play golf on the weekends, the time with your family to go take great vacations. He's given that to you for your enjoyment, but never forget it's from him because if you ever say my hands made me wealthy my hands did it my brain did it God's going to say where'd you get a brain and hands from you can't take it with you all your brains and hands and body die here only soul and spirit goes on so if you want to be rich not only in this world but the kingdom to come store up treasures in heaven how do you store up treasures in heaven you be rich in good deeds I believe we are all equally saved the same but we are not all equally rewarded the same We are all saved by grace through faith by Jesus Christ's blood. No one here is a second-class citizen in, in the kingdom of God. But once you become born again, now you are going to be rewarded on what you do in this life. And being rich in good deeds, if you remember Jesus' story, a poor woman who gave all she had a penny was considered to give more than all those people in that temple. Do you understand? Jesus is not judging your good deeds based on amount. He's judging it on your heart, on your generosity, on your willingness to be sharing. He says, willing to share. Everybody say, sharing is caring. And then Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? 
Now think about this. Thank you. Jesus could have picked any other competing master. God and sex. God and power. God and politics. God and uh, pride of life. He could have picked any other thing to warn you of. What would be competing for that other spot to be the master of your life. But out of all of the other components of this world, all the other satanic things, look at what he chose. Money. Money. He said, guys, let me get everybody's attention in closing, please. He said, guys, you can only serve but one master. And there is one other master that is competing for your heart and soul. And that is money. Because what will money do? Money will deceive you to think you have power. You see, because I've made this money, I have medical insurance, I have retirement, I need not God on Sundays. I'll see you at the boat, guys. Right? You know people like that. Or, hey, I'll, I don't need church. I'm a, I'm a working man. i got to work on Sundays. And what money will begin to do is become your master and determine where you are, what you do, and how to spend what it gives you. And so money leads to pride. Money leads to all sorts of evil, the Bible says. That's why you got to let what's in your heart control what's in your wallet. If you let this wallet begin to control your heart. Whatever you put on your backside is going to begin to stink, isn't it? And if you take that which stinketh and put it in here, it will defile it. You take the purity of your heart and what God has given you, and you control what's here. You want to know how to do that? Can I get an amen? Vinny, would you come in closely, closing as I start the message now? Four ways to be a good financial steward. All the notes are online. You can go back and read these things if they'll be helpful. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is Donald Trump's and everything in it. The earth is Bill Gates and everything in it. The earth is Mark Zuckerberg's and everything in it. Is that what it says? The earth is the what? The Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Financial stewardship, once again, is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. Here's four ways to do it. Everybody say four ways. Number one, be a tither. You might say, Pastor, what, what in the world does this have to do with me managing my money, being a steward over it? Watch. Everybody get this. The moment my parents gave me money as a child because I was raised in a Christian family, they taught me that 10% belongs to the Lord. That's what a tithe is, 10% of your total income to God. The moment they taught me that, what, did they, what were they teaching me? It belongs to God. Responsibility. If I know how to tithe and give it to God, will I know how to save then? Will I know how not to worship money? If when I'm looking at a boat, if I can't afford it unless I stop tithing, now I know there's a problem with masters, isn't it? Well, I tithe about 600 a month. Boat payments about 400 a month. Insurance and upkeep. Let's make a trade. That's what the devil does, right? Trade your tithe for the boat. Go on. Go on. You don't have to tell anybody. You can be like all those other pastors who do shady stuff, and nobody has to know. Some pastors don't even tithe. Come on. And that's how the devil will come. That's how your lies will come. Just trade your tithe for this. But think of it just the opposite now. If you're raised as a child or here today as a new Christian and you start training yourself, every time I make a paycheck, okay, here's my paycheck, $2,000, and you go, oh, 
only 1,800 belongs to me. You start to get a mentality of, well, really, the other 1,800 belongs to God too. So I better start becoming wise with how I spend this. See, it teaches you responsibility. I'm not saying everybody who goes in debt is not a tither. I'm just saying generally those who overspend and don't manage their money are not faithful tithers. Because faithful tithers build a... And I'm not saying we don't suffer loss in this world. My dad had a failing business for much of my early life, and it was one of the most hardest things to watch. But he still was faithful in tithing. I'm not saying we won't face hardships. What I'm just saying is those who are faithful in tithing generally will not overspend because they're already becoming a disciplined spender. They're getting it. Now, guess what? The government already takes theirs without your permission. God gives you permission to give it back to him. Isn't he an awesome God? What is the tithe? Here's the lesson on the tithe that we go through in our giving book. You can read it online. Let's say this together on the count of three. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Which a great scripture on that. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Boy, that just amazes me. God could have just said, hey, hey, he could have been like, hey, Tony on the block, hey, you owe me some money, you owe me 10%, hey, you come on, hey, let me shake it down, hey, give me the money, give me the money. Hey, is that all you made? I think you made a little bit more than that. Hey, you owe me a little bit more, but you owe me five more dollars, but just give me five more cards even. Hey, okay, get out of here. You're a good kid. You're a good kid. Ah, okay. He could have been like some Tony guy from down the block. But he says, hey, I want to teach you the principle of not letting money have its dominion over you. And by doing this, you're going to tithe, and it's going to break that spirit of greed over you and show you who's in charge. But while you do it, I'm going to bless you. While you put my kingdom first, I'm going to start putting your kingdom on this earth. Uh, not, I want to, as you start putting my kingdom first, I'll put my kingdom in your world. My kingdom on your job. My kingdom in your family. As you seek his kingdom, God's kingdom comes through you. Everybody say give offerings regularly. The offering is a gift to God after your tithe. It is not a specified amount, not a percentage. And if you notice the tithe, is a percentage, not an amount. So if you make $2, you tithe 20 cents. Everybody gives it the same. There's no big I's and little U's, right? The guy who makes a million dollars ties $100,000. If there's such a thing in heaven, the stamp of a tither, he gets it. Just like the kid who, like my daughter who gets a couple dollars allowance and gives, you know, 20, 30 cents. Tithe. You tithe. Well done. That's the Lord's mindset. Now an offering is an unspecified amount between you and the Lord. My wife and I pray about how in this church to give to offering through our, to our missions, to our building. You may want to give these to other Christian charities. Uh, and, and for it to really count as an offering, it needs to be a Christian charity, okay? A church, a Christian function. It's not just giving to United Way. God will bless that. It's okay to be generous in those ways. I just want to tell you, the offering is where the people of God are, ge are generating shekels to go good, do good things for the Lord. And when my wife and I pray, we're like always like making sure the number scares us. Because if the number doesn't scare us, like we just came up with that ourselves, you know? Like, like honey, how much should we give to missions this year? 
well, okay, we got 3,000 in the bank. Hmm, let's give a thousand. Let's give a thousand. You feel good about that? I feel good. Like, we know that's not God. That was just us just talking about whatever we wanted to give when looking at what we have. We know when God, like, drops a number, like, give 8,000, give 5,000, give some crazy amount. I'm just using the examples in my own life. When God starts doing that, you're like, whoa, I don't have that, God. And God's like, yeah, that's the point. I'm going to give it to you to go through you. Some of us don't understand that God's waiting to bless us so that we can be a blessing. And I'm not saying everybody gets rich this way. I'm just saying we should be rich in giving. We should not just be praying for our own race. Like, Lord, you, you know, I just got this new Honda car, and it's 300 a month. Lord, I need a raise. Oh, Jesus, I need a raise. When was the last time you said, Lord, I saw the aviation missionaries going to the Congo. We're giving them this much, God, but I want to give them this, this much more so they can bring Bibles to the Congo, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Bless me. See, one is praying just for your need. Other one is praying for the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What is, what is the offering? Let's say it together. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's words, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Going on with that Malachi passage, it says, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned from my decrees, have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you. Everybody say, come back to God, and he'll come to you. But you ask, how should we return? How many want to return to God the right way? And he says, well, a mere, where, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Look at your neighbor and say, are you robbing God? You be stealing from him? What you got of God's? But you ask, oh, they want to know too. How are we robbing you, God? Did we go to heaven, chip off some gold, put it in our pockets? Like, uh, the, you know, what's his, name in the, what's his name in the beanstalk? Jack in the beanstalk? You are under, no, so you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and what? Offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing you. What is our, uh, robbing me? What, what does the dollar bill say on it? In God we, have we been trusting in God for our finances over these last couple of years? Aren't we kind of under a financial curse? Have you noticed that? When we start trusting God more than we trust the dollar, we're going to see the dollar fail us all the time. When we, start trust, uh, when we trust God more than the dollar, God won't fail us. When we trust the dollar more than God, the dollar will fail us. Did I say it right? Third thing, everybody say manage the rest well. The bottom, the bottom line is after you've given tithe and offering, you think about this every day, every day. All that you have left, you're going to be a good steward of. Lord, what car should I get, right? Because I'm in the habit of always talking to the Lord about my money now. So, God, what house should I have? What clothes should I wear? And we're not, like, talking about being so weirdy spiritual. You wake up in the morning, like, what color socks should I wear, Jesus? What am I going to put on? My, what shoes should I put on today? No, we're just talking about how to manage these things. How many want to have nice things in life? And don't be shy. Be honest. You want to have nice things. If you're going to go buy something, you want it to work, right? If you're going to have a phone, you want a nice phone. If you want a house, you want a nice house. Well, all of those things, God says, he's going to bless and give you wisdom in. Have you ever heard of that small business called Chick-fil-A? Have you ever heard of that other small little outlet store called Hobby Lobby? Have you ever heard of that small women's uh, store called Forever 21? Those are actually kind of multi-million, billion-dollar companies, aren't they? Established on Jesus, paying higher. Hobby Lobby pays more than the average minimum wage, and no government law had to make him do it because he's a generous man. 
is people are generous, right? You build companies, you build businesses based on the principles of God. One of my favorite businesses is in California. What's it called? In-N-Out Burger. Little Bible verse on the bottom of your cups and french fries. Let's say together about being managers. You read it today. Say it again, please. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Look at Acts 2.44. All the believers. How many of the believers? How many believers do I got here? Make some noise. Woo! All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I am thankful for the generosity of this church. Because of this church, I'm not going to keep you long, but listen. Just last month, we gave over 300 children supplies away. We gave five laptops away. We pick up with our vans, the Ohio Park kids. We have a youth ministry that is blowing up in this place, a gang ministry. We are helping mothers with their children. Our youth pastor adopted a child from the foster care. We pay for the diapers. We are supporting missionaries in many different nations, an orphanage in uh, South Africa, aviation missionaries to the Congo, an American missionary down in New Orleans, and all the mission work that we do here from Boricua Fest and the free food that we hand out and those that we support here in this church that need our help. We are doing with what we have the best we can. I'm just saying, Lord, give us more so we can do more. Give us 100,000 disciples, Lord. 100,000 so we can build more homes. And I'm thankful for all the churches that do it in this city. We just need more, don't we? We're not the only good church in the city. Can I get an amen? Amen. Overcome financial traps. Here's the last thing. Tithe, offering. Be a good steward of that 90% you have left or whatever you give in offering, right? Now you overcome these traps because they're going to happen. They happen to me. They happen to you. They're always set up really sneaky and you just got to be careful. You don't fall for the traps of the enemy. Let's read these together in Jesus' name. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. In other words, listen to what Jesus said. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many are ready to be kingdom seekers? Amen. Here's the resources for you right here. The Disciples Giving Book has 52 lessons on everything we just talked about. All of those lessons there. All of them for you. F-R-E-E. -E. What? What would happen if every disciple heard and applied these powerful lessons? God's kingdom work could be done all throughout the world. The poor would be fed, church buildings paid off, and enough laborers to reach the world around us. My friends, you and I have a choice today to whether or not we want to obey Jesus. In closing, somebody say we're here. Come on, in closing. This is what the Bible can be summarized as. John Wesley said it best. Make all you can. Give all you can and save all you can. Let's not let money control us. Let's control money. You ready to do that? Let's stand up and give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. We love you, Jesus. Band, would you come? Let's close out in prayer today.
Let's close out in prayer. Father, we thank you today for this sermon that teaches us to put you first in our finances. God, over money. Lord, I ask you right now, if any of us, starting with me, has allowed money, that, that master, to come in and take control of some area of our life, may we repent of it right now. Holy Spirit, expose it in our heart. Right now, with every head bowed and eyes closed, would you right now be honest with yourself through today's preaching of the word? Would you see if there's any sign of money being a master of your life? Any love of money? Right now, Lord, show it to us. Show me my heart, Jesus. Show me the inside of me. Lord, won't you expose my motives? Show me what I spend my money on, why I do what I do. Come on, right now, for, just a, f a few more moments for the sake of God and his kingdom. Let us take serious what the Lord said. Jesus, let not money take over my heart let not money take over my heart Jesus 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 oh that's a good one that's prophetic sing it I'll serve God I'll serve God in not money just a few moments as we pray I'll serve God I'll serve God in that set me free. Come on, sing it out. It's all about Jesus. If you need to repent, just get it out right now. No altar call, no prayer workers, just you and the Lord right where you're at. No intention to embarrass you. No intention to shame you. But right now, be honest with your heart. If that's not your cry, if you've been messing it up lately and today you want to come back to the Lord, just say, Lord, forgive me for not being a tither. Forgive me for not praying about giving offerings to missions and to the hurting. Lord, forgive me for not managing well the rest that you give me. And Lord, I've been getting so hung up on these hindrances. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. I'm not pointing fingers at the televangelist today, God. I'm not pointing fingers at the greedy pastor today. I'm not pointing fingers at others, Lord. I'm looking at my heart today. If you said, if you said to me, this could be a problem, God, I take it serious. I don't want to be pierced with many griefs. And just as I said that, the Lord put in my heart not to embarrass some of you. But if you have been peace, uh, pierced with the grief of debt, I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying you've been pierced with it. Just raise up your hands right now because we're going to pray God to set you free. We're going to pray for God to give you wisdom. We're going to pray for God to give you strength. We're going to pray for God to do something special in your life that you're not going to get discouraged. We've all been there. Many of us have made some mistakes like that. Come on. Set us free, set us free, oh Lord. Set us free, set us free, oh 
Set us free, set us free, oh Lord, that we can be a blessing. Lord, we can't be blessings, oh Lord, if we're under the curse of death, if we're under the strain, the grief of it. If you have made a mistake, just repent. God understands. He forgives. He loves. If it was something that wasn't your fault, maybe a bad business, I've been there. I've made those mistakes. But listen, God loves us. Come on, let's say I'm free. Help me, Jesus. 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 Yes, yes. Sing it out, Adam. Come on. Jesus Come on, Jesus isn't losing. Uh, his plan's not being lost in your life today. God can turn this around for your good. God can turn it around for your good today. Let me share with you in closing, and I hope you guys can hear this today. I normally don't keep you this long, but listen to me. One of the hardest days of my life is when I went bankrupt. You want to know how I did it? I bought a boat. No, I'm kidding. I didn't buy a boat. We moved to another building that was $12,000 a month. We pay $2,500 a month here. In my mind, I thought if we grew exponentially, we could afford it. When we signed the lease, since we were a small church, they expected me to put my personal guarantee on the line. I had been taught from my dad about credit, living debt-free. Because he was a blessed man, I had no debts, and he taught me how to live that way. At 16, I had a car given to me. College was paid for me. Edu uh, uh, education was free, and I got an allowance. All he said was, get good grades. He gave me my first credit card when I was in college, American Express. I ended up having one of the best ratings with them, an over $12,000 limit as a young kid. Are you listening to me? About 21 years old. Hello. Living debt-free. All those years, great credit rating. I said, sure, I'll sign on the dotted line. Got it. I believe God's going to make a way for this. But see, I made a mistake, not a sin. I made a mistake. I went too far ahead of our church. 2008 and 9, the recession hit, and I'm sitting in a building. Some of you remember this on Irving. God used it to bring you there and others there. But we're sitting in a building with a 10 12,000. It started off at 8, 9, 10. We worked up to 12,000. I'm sitting there in the height of the recession with a $12,000 payment. People are coming at these altars on Sunday confessing, I'm foreclosing my home, Pastor. I can't afford it. They laid me off. Grown men are crying, one in the woodworking business. I used to do the mayor's home, did all the woodwork. I have to close my business. Now me and my guy are going to my partner are in lawsuits with each other to see who's, who's going to have to go to bankruptcy. Hello. And in the middle of that, I'm praying for them and I'm going through this. For a year, I tried to negotiate with them. For a year, I'm going to them going, we don't have it. Our people are mostly a young people. The, the, fun, the, the few that I even had that were doing well, they're getting rocked so hard right now. They said, okay, well, we'll give you a little bit of a break here and there. And, and, and every time I did it, just dug into me. I just felt like such a loser. Like, wow, what's wrong with me? Why isn't God helping me? I felt so condemned. So for some of you who have felt that way, I'm totally with you. They brought it down from 12 to 10. You know, I can't even remember all the numbers. Eventually, towards the end of it, I said, listen, I have about one month left of rent. Would you please, I begged them before, I said, would you please put up the building for rent? I will make this, I will pay for the sign, put it over our building, 
and release us from this. It was a five-year lease worth over half a million dollars. I said, and release us from this, this, this lease. I said, I, I'll do anything. He said, no. I called up our lawyer, and I said, what do I do? He said, give them your last month's rent. I will cry telling you this story. He said, give them your last month's rent, shut down your church, and restart a new one and tell the people this is what we got to do. You can go to our blog and hear the whole entire story. I preached it. I, there was no shame that I could, uh, nothing would hold me back. I said, I got to tell the people this. I still tell the story. But listen, through that, God brought us back to a smaller location, built the church. We never lost the people. The people kept growing. Can I get an amen? Yeah, listen to me. They got nothing sued me and the church, church closed, I go bankrupt, and I'll tell you, it was, it was the hardest day of my life, selling the car my parents had given me so I could make rent, and I said, I have nothing, I am a pastor, I don't have a million dollars, I don't have a half a million, why would you even want my name on this, I can't guarantee you the money, I thought you wanted me to guarantee the facility, the upkeep, the, the ability of a point person. And the lawyer said, now you sign as a board, you sign as this, you start a new church. And I'll never forget being in Peter Dracy's office, the bankruptcy guy. And they looked at my paperwork and they said, how do you owe a half a million dollars in a Metro Praise organization? How did this happen? I said, I'm a pastor who's co-signed on a lease and I've gotten sued. I can't tell you how much that hurt me. If I, if I could have done anything, I would have. And I watched my dad go through a similar situation. And I know some of you are in similar situations where it's not like you've stolen and you need to go to a debtor's jail. The bankruptcy law was to protect our entrepreneurs from taking these hits and these times. And I just want to tell you, don't you give up. The Lord has blessed us from this. I watched my dad start another business. And he said, in the last 15 years of my life, I made more than the first 50 years of business. This church has grown exponentially over these last years. I'm not proud of it. I will never make that mistake again. And you can watch us. If we go to another building, we will not do that kind of stupidity. Are you listening? I take full responsibility. I've repented before God for that mistake. But I want to tell you today, before you leave out of here, if you are down, you are not out. If you feel that debt is laughing at you today, and if you have debt collectors, you do the best you can. But you listen to me. You start right now with what you have, and you do your best, and you build back up your credit. You build back up your reputation, and you do not quit because today God says those who are godly and content, they will have great gain. Those today who seek my kingdom, this will be taken care of down here. Amen? Altar workers, would you come, please? We're going to close out in prayer. I just felt to share that with you guys. Your pastor was a high school dropout, a drug dealer, has gone bankrupt. Do you want to come back next week? Oh, praise God. You were there for that, weren't you? Can you just turn it down just for a little bit? Let's just talk to this man before we pray. You remember when I announced that to the people, don't you? Yes. And how it broke our hearts. You know the one thing I said I never would do? I would never blame the people. Because remember, I don't work outside of the church. I never went to a guy like Cozolito and said, man, you better give more. Come on, I know, I, I saw you buy a new bike, Cozolito. You better give more. I'm just kidding. But you get what I'm saying? This is what I said. I said, God, we started this church with one principle, and that is the principle 
of what we taught on finances. I said, either you pay the bills or you don't. And if I make a mistake, I'll own it. But this brother stuck with us. Did you see God do a great thing when we came here? He was a little nervous at first. Then the Lord showed up and blowed up. Would you do me a favor and pray that for everybody here, that God will bless their finances? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father God, we worship you and we love you, Father God. We adore you, Father God. Father God, through tough times, Father God, you know always good things happen, Father God. And we thank you, Father God. Father God, that though bad things happen, Father God, but it was but always something good came out of it, Father God. And we pray, Father God, as a congregation, that we will continue to stay faithful, Father God, in our church and continue to stay faithful in you, Father God. That we will continue to grow as a congregation, Father God. We will continue to grow, Father God, in more wanting to know more of you, Father God, and grow, Father God, in you, Father God. We pray that you will bless each and every one of our finances, Father God, that we will be blessed to be a blessing to others, Father God, and that more, Father God, disciples will come, Father God, from all walks of life, Father God, all over the city of Chicago and all over this nation will come, Father God. Have your way and let your will be done, and Metro Praise International will continue to grow till the day we die, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray, Lord. Amen and amen. Come on, slap your neighbor high five and say, be blessed to be a blessing. Come on, be blessed to be a blessing. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. Otherwise, we'll see you at Life Groups. Thank you for coming. If you need prayer, come on up. Soon.
of our life, whether they be finances, sickness, he rejection. Knows my every oh, come on. Surely will come, come on, sing it one more time. Let faith arise for my champions, not dead. We need to believe that today. We need to believe. Let faith arise for my champions, not dead. Yes. Devil is a liar. Yeah. He already knows. 
the voices. It sounds like heaven in here, saints. after party. Hallelujah. Come on, shout hallelujah. We believe every chain is broken. Every chain is broken. Every chain is broken. Every chain of death, of sickness, of despair. You are the chain breaker. Chain breaker. Come 
song if you want to meet these prayer workers privately we want to bless you today but have a wonderful day after after party
Hello.